Welcome everybody to Catalyst Christian Church. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here and I want to welcome everybody who's in person and online. We are finishing today our series on the culture war and next week we start a brand new series on the book of Revelation. We're going to be going through the book of Revelation, how the Bible says everything is going to end and I'm very excited about that so make sure that you are here for that. We're going to do that to finish out the year of 2021. Uh, today we are talking about the least of these and the main thing like Donovan says if we aren't careful we will create more poverty while trying to solve it. Um, whoa. Uh, no doubt one of the things God cares most about is the poor, no doubt. You can't spend five minutes in the Bible without hearing about the poor. The church throughout the ages has been excellent at caring for the poor. There's no other organization that cares for the poor like the church does, not even close. Jesus refers to the poor, the orphan, the foster child, the widow, the handicapped as the least of these. And I've seen, unfortunately, with some sense of alarm, some some troubling things going on in the body of Christ. And there's a narrative going on around right now with a sizable amount of mainline uh, pastors from big denominations making some very inaccurate claims about Jesus in order to push a public policy. And namely to increase the welfare state, big government to care for the poor. Uh, now no one argues that scripture is full of commands to care for the poor. Um, no one, like I said, no one uh, has spent five minutes in the Bible would argue that. But that's where this narrative stops, and it lapses uh, into, uh, into something else. And, and these people are pushing, uh, in the name of Jesus, for things that actually wind up worsening the situation, all right, while trying to solve it. So first thing we, we need to do today is we need to counteract this false narrative, and then we actually need to get into the Bible and see what it actually says. So the first thing, we've got to counteract the false narrative. Um, first thing, guys, Jesus was not a socialist. He was a generosityist, okay? All right, so uh, a, a really famous uh, uh, episode in the Bible, a, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists the Ten Commandments, they follow these. And the guy says, I've done all of that, but I'm still missing something. What, what am I missing? And Luke 18, 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And I've heard many people say that Jesus was a socialist because he had concern for the poor and he preached against materialism and greed. And no doubt he preached against materialism and greed. But he did it in a radical way. The rich young ruler appre uh, uh, approached him and they had that conversation. Jesus didn't say, hey, uh, rich young ruler, I want you to lobby the government and I want you to increase the taxes so that you take from the rich, give it to a bunch of politicians that will keep most of it and they'll give it some crumbs to the poor. That's not what he said. All right? Jesus never commanded the government to care for the poor. Never once stated that. Jesus commanded us to care for the poor. All right? Socialists use other people's money. Generosities use their own money. Okay? I found that people who shout loudly about caring for the poor grow remarkably silent when challenged to use their own money. They truly want the poor cared for as long as someone else's money is doing it. All right, and like the rich young ruler, many people who cry for the poor to be cared for walk away when challenged to sacrifice their own money to do it. Jesus commanded people to be generous with their own money, not other people's money. And that is what's at the heart of his preaching. Jesus wanted us to be generous. He wanted us to be concerned and give of our own free will 
uh, rather than uh, at the threat of imprisonment or fines for tax evasion. Jesus always preached generosity. Okay, so Jesus was not a socialist. Let's get rid of that because there are powerful voices in the, in the church saying that he was. And they're in the church. No, he was not. He didn't want other people's money going. He wanted us to take care of the poor. The second thing is that no one has the right to labor resources of others. There's a really toxic thing going on in the church right now, believing that we have the right to what other people have produced or the work of, of others. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. There's an increasingly loud call to fund things for people. I hear calls for free college, free health care, universal basic income, etc. I've heard those things. Well, you don't have the right to the labor or the resources of others. In order to have free health care, if you really wanted to have free health care, that means doctors and nurses have to work for free. That means all the supplies have to be donated. That means doctors who will have to go to college and then medical school and rack up hundreds of thousands of debt will have to do that services for free. That's what free means. It's not free. And if you want free college, that means that the, the professors who, who've gotten PhDs and master's degrees uh, and spent all this on education will have to teach for free. And all the physical plant people have to, have to teach for free or have to, have to do the work for free. You know, when I hear calls for free college and free health care, what that means is that people who benefit from those services expect others not receiving that service to pay for it all right free college is actually being paid for people who aren't going to college free health care is actually being paid for people who aren't receiving the health care and you do not have a right to the labor or the resources of others people go around expecting free stuff i, I don't i and, uh, uh, I, I don't have the respect of, of outsiders okay i don't respect anyone who lives off the goodwill of others i may pity them but i don't respect them the Bible tells us to live our own lives in such a way that we earn the respect of outsiders, okay? And not be dependent on anyone. The third thing is this, and this is probably the most obvious, but it's, it seems to be the most misunderstood, is that money doesn't solve poverty. If money solved poverty, we'd have solved poverty a long time ago, all right? If, uh, on January 8th, 1964, President Lyndon Baines Johnson in his State of the Union uh, announced a war on poverty. All right? He, there were photo ops. He came to Kentucky, of all places. The only time Kentucky ever makes the news is when poverty is involved, okay? He, he, he went out to eastern Kentucky and took a bunch of photo ops with him sitting on the porch with a bunch of, a bunch of Kentucky hillbillies. I don't know if you've seen those. They're very famous photos. And he announced a war on poverty as part of his great society vision for America. He was going to eradicate poverty by pouring money into the poor, into the, into the poor people. Great plan, right? Well, in 2014, the 50th anniversary of the War on Poverty, the U.S. government has spent more than $22 trillion. The poverty rate in 1964 was 15%. The poverty rate in 2014 was 15.2%. $22 trillion later, and it had, only, it had gone up 0.2%. One afternoon, a man walked into the church. Uh, I recognized him. His name was Bob. He was in one of my Inside Out Dad classes at Justin Kentinson Center. They had released him, and he had, with, with nothing, and he'd, he'd walked around, spent the night on someone's back porch in freezing temperatures, and the next day came in, um, and, and it, was, it was pitiful. He was in rough shape. 
Um, and so uh, I, I took him down to uh, the place behind Advanced Auto Parts where you can, it's a week-by-week -week motel. And I got him a room and got him a place to stay so at least he wasn't going to be, um, at least he wasn't going to be outside. Well, he had no money, he had no job and everything, and I didn't have time to go shopping for him, so I reached in my wallet, and I, I had a $50 bill. I said, here you go, this is, this is all I got. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're an adult, you'll be responsible for this, you know that you've got no income, you'll be responsible for this, okay? Well, the next day, he came by and needed more. He spent the entire $50. Had I given him $100, he spent the whole $100. And I learned something from Bob. Bob had a radically different mindset than I did. See, I grew up with a prosperity mindset. I grew up thinking that the sky was the limit, that the only limitations on what I could do are, were, were on me, the decisions that I made. Um, that was, that with work and dedication, I could do anything or wanted to be, I could be anything I wanted. Well, that's a prosperity mindset, but Bob had a different mindset. Probably from the way he was growing up and reinforced in prison. And I learned that from Bob that poverty is a mindset, not a financial situation. Write that down. Poverty is a mindset, not a financial situation. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 12 says this, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people co we command and urge in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, settle down and earn the food they eat. Bob showed me that poverty, what a poverty mentality was, and this was this, he raged against the system. The system was out to keep him down, he always, he said. That he, he could never get ahead no matter what he did. That the man was out to get you. It's a defeatist mindset that sabotages every good thing that comes your way. I don't know if you know people like that, but it's a mindset that sees people doing well and says, well, they did it dishonestly, or they don't deserve that, or they did that by screwing the little guy like me. That's the poverty mindset. A person with a poverty mindset does stupid things with money. First thing I notice, people with a poverty mindset, the second they get any money, spend it immediately, all of it without reservation. And that comes from, uh, from, from the fear that it'll be taken or stolen, it won't be there tomorrow, so I better get, I, if I don't spend it on myself now, it won't be there tomorrow. That's a poverty mindset. And that's what Bob did. He spent it all immediately. And then he tried to guilt me into giving him more. When I said I don't have any more, he goes, hmm, some pastor. And I said, yes, pastor knows the word of God. And I quoted 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 12. We hear that some of you among, uh, among you are idle and disruptive, Bob. They are not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat, Bob. We walk by a now hiring sign at McDonald's. Go get a job, Bob. So the well-meaning, good-hearted, caring people in the body of Christ have to realize the poverty mindset's out there. Unless we address that first, we aren't helping. You have to understand that the Bobs out there can't be helped by giving money. Because tomorrow they'll be right back where they are, and the next day and the next week. Until we can eliminate the poverty mindset, you all, no amount of money will eliminate poverty. That's why $22 trillion caused the poverty rate to go so what do we do? Do we just turn our backs on the poor and say, tough luck, pull yourself up by bootstraps, suck it up? Is that what we do? Well, sometimes. Still has some people. But, but here's the thing. The Bible is very specific that care for the poor is something that is so close to the heart of God that you cannot separate care for the poor from the heart of God. Okay? Can't do it. 
God's specific care for the poor. I, I just found three verses. The Bible is full of them. Check this out. In Psalm 82, 3, it says, Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. That's the command of people like us. We can't just neglect. Uh, Proverbs 14, 31, Whoever oppresses the poor shows con contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And the kicker, Ezekiel 16, 49, check this out. Now this was the sin of your sister, sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Everybody thinks that, that, that Sodom was destroyed because of homosexual gang rape. No, it was, it was destroyed because they had no concern for the poor and the needy. All right? And all over Scripture were commanded, so what do we do? Well, we've seen the world's way of solving this problem, throw money at it and blame everybody, and obviously that doesn't work, and I've seen the church take a dangerous trick that same way to try to, to, try to uh, just throw money at stuff, because it makes us feel so good, so moral, and so righteous that we're helping people, but we're actually not helping people. We're destroying them. So maybe it's time to go to the Word of God and see what God commands us to do with the least of these. What is the church's role in decreasing poverty? This is a culture war topic. First of all, as always, we start with ourselves, all right? The first thing, we've got to stop creating it within our own homes. And we always start with our own homes, always. That's my main problem with activists. They're always so concerned with what's out there, they never look at what's in here, all right? We always get our own homes in order for anything else, and many people create poverty for themselves. As much as I would ha I, I hate to say it, many people create poverty for themselves, and the top three ways they do it are laziness, Addiction and incarceration. Those are the three biggest drivers of self-created poverty we've ever seen. The first one, laziness. Ten, Proverbs 10.4 says this, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. I always tell my children, now that they're of working age, you work the job you have to work until you work the job you want to work. If you can't have the job that you want to work, then work the job you have to work till that one comes up. But work. Okay? And Christmas vacation, Cousin Eddie hadn't had a job in seven years. The reason he has it because he's holding out for a what? Management position, exactly, yes. We got some Christmas vacation people in there. Uh, some people are so religious, they won't work if there's a Sunday in the week. But I'm telling you, laziness will bring poverty on you. It will. There are many of us that, that are not working because we're doing better because the government is paying us not to work. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian man, Christian woman, and you are receiving a check from the government and you're not working, I'm telling you, that is wrong. You need to be working. Do not live off of the government. It's lazy, and your poverty is in your future. Second reason, self-created poverty, and I see this so much, you guys, it's addiction. Addiction will destroy your life. Not just from a, a substance, but, but from a poverty standpoint. Proverbs 21, 17, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Addiction drives you to poverty quicker than anything. If I could tell any of the people in here, especially the kids, never pick it up. Never pick it, never take your first hit. Never take your first drink because poverty is in your future if you become an addict. I was teaching to a group of recovering addicts one time. Great, great guys. I loved them. And one of the guys was telling me about the night before he got arrested. He, he was sitting in the house. The power had been turned off. The heat had been turned off. They were living in abject poverty. 
and he told his son to get the uh, extension cord, go plug into the neighbor's outlet so they could have lights. Why did he need lights? Because he had his alcohol and he had his dope. That got his money instead of the light bill. That's what addiction does to you. All right? That's where, that's where you're headed. If you are, some of you all are, 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 are drinking way too much. Alcohol is as addictive as heroin is. It's socially acceptable. But if you, some of you are on your way to becoming alcoholics, and poverty is in your future. You're self-creating poverty, and you need to stop. Some of you guys are, are, are smoking marijuana, or you're actually actively engaged in active drug use. I'm telling you, addiction is in your future, and poverty will destroy you. Stop creating poverty in our own homes. The third thing is, is, is next to addictions, incarceration. Incarceration destroys uh, income. Proverbs 13, 18, whoever dis disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. It isn't just creating poverty for yourself, you're destroying your family, you're creating poverty for your family, your children are going to grow up in poverty. Alright? Um, uh, one of the best things we do here at Catalyst is the Thanksgiving uh, outreach, and we, we haven't been able to do it um, with the inmates because for last year and this year we haven't been able to teach our, our fatherhood class in jail. But when we were doing that, we contacted the families of the inmates that we were giving uh, Thanksgiving to. And one family said that all they were having for Thanksgiving was a, it was a grandma who was looking after the kids. Grandma was disabled, uh, extreme poverty. And all they were going to have for Thanksgiving was a cup of cream of mushroom soup. That was Thanksgiving dinner, you guys. It's all because dad was in jail and had lost all that income, <clears throat> creating poverty for himself and affected his family. We have to stop creating poverty through laziness, addiction, and incarceration. We gotta start in our own homes. We gotta start in this church. So if any, if there's laziness or addiction or incarceration in here, and, and, and if you're on the path to that, understand you're creating poverty for yourself. All right? The second thing, we have to, second thing that we do, once we take care of our own houses, once we get our own houses in order, our own lives in order, and we stop creating poverty for ourselves, the second thing we do, we give unreservedly and without second thought to children. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now one of the greatest things about the church, one of the big reasons I'm part of the church, other than the whole uh, salvation thing and, and, and eternal life thing and, and all of that, I, 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 am, I am into that, I'm a pastor, that is, that is our number one job to save people. But that, that, that will happen sometime in the future. Right now, the, the church is excellent at, hel at serving the poor. Excellent. One of the things that drew me to the church as a young man, I know of no other organization that cares for the poor like the church does. Hands down. Uh, the church is amazing at it. American Christians spend an estimated $5.7 billion per year sponsoring children to rescue them from poverty. We have uh, an orphanage in, uh, in our church. Uh, uh, we have <laughs> orphans in our, I, I, guys, I'm fired up about this, okay, I'm sorry. We have orphans in our orphanage in, in India that are being rescued from poverty by people in this church. It's awesome to see, I just love it. It's amazing. Um, uh, and these, these Christians that do this get nothing out of it. Now you tell me, find me one other group of people in this world that will spend $5.7 billion and not get anything out of it. 
Nothing. You cannot show me a group. Only the church. And I get so upset when people criticize the church, say it's materialistic or greedy. That's because they don't know what the church does. They don't get it. I don't dare put down my church. No other group of people would give so selflessly care for the poor. You cannot find any organization anywhere that cares for the poor like the church does. And that's to our credit. In 2019, my son and I got to go over to India to see what this church, Catalyst Christian Church, had done over the past seven years of sponsoring children. Individual sponsors. Now, now mind you, the Indian ministry was not receiving anything from our church, from, from, from the official church body. We, have, we had other missionaries and other things we were funding. The Indian ministry d- did not get anything. It was only from people in the pews, individual donors that sponsored children in our orphanage over there. All right? Faithfully, every month, sponsoring children, sending money to educate, to feed, clothe, protect these children. It grew from 50 to 151 children during that time. They were able to stretch dollars, and they were able to buy land and build a, a, a school and an orphanage to house and educate these children. No more were they sleeping on a tarp floor of a moldy, leaking, broken-down building. They had their own beds and their own rooms, their own classrooms. And Sam and I got to be there for the dedication of the building. Incredible. It's, an, it's just amazing. Church does so much. Could we be doing more? Absolutely. We could be doing a lot more. We do so much, but we're not doing enough. The night after the dedication, where the whole community turned out to celebrate, I was talking with Ravi, who's our director over there, and several of the, the men that make th- made it happen. And I said, this is amazing what you guys have done here. And I expected a course of amens, and I got silence. I asked what was going on. And the principal of the school got this troubled look on his face. He pointed out the window. He said, there are a thousand more children out there. I have to walk by them every day. He said, every week, a mother, a grandmother come up to me, not able to walk really in bad health, child in her arms, and say, please take my child. Please take my son. Please take my daughter. And I have to tell her no. We have no room. We can't afford to feed, clothe, or educate them. We can barely do it with children we have now. Every week, he said, we have to decide what gets paid and what doesn't. Because we, we have to decide what essential item doesn't get bought. We can really only support about 100. We have 151 kids. He goes, we have the land to accommodate every orphan child in this community. We don't have the money to do it. And I remember the joy on the faces of the kids that were in our orphanage, and I realized what these men, these dear saints of God, had to do. They had to look at the thousand orphans, the poverty-stricken children of the town, decide which ones were in and which ones were out. They had to look in the face of these mothers, many of whom were dying or in ill health, who couldn't support their children, or the faces of the children who had no parents and tell them there's no room for them. They had to do that on a daily basis. And they had to do that 
knowing that the children they turned away would turn to crime, would never hear about Jesus, would be victims of human traffickers who would exploit and destroy their young bodies for profit and then leave them on the side of the road hurting them or killing them. At night, I was so troubled as I went back to my room and I asked God, God, what's going on? Are, are, are you not good? Do you not care? And as clear as I'm speaking to you, I heard the voice of God saying, I am good. And I do care. And you know why this is happening. And I realized that God had already provided for all of those children. He had placed the resources to care for them in the hands of his church. And his church, the people who called Jesus Christ Lord of their lives, were pocketing those resources and spending it on themselves instead of on what he wanted them to spend it on. The lack of faithfulness on God's church is epidemic. And the situation of the poor in the world will continue, not because God doesn't care or hasn't even provided the resources to care, because so many of the people of God who could solve poverty tomorrow without really affecting their lives very drastically don't care. International figures show that it would take about 70 to $80 billion a year to provide basic services like food, water, basic medical care, et cetera, to the poor people of the world. It is estimated that if only American Christians tithe, that was 10% of their income, in accordance with the scriptures, we could feed every starving person in the world and do all those things and still have $70 billion per year to do the work, other work of the church. Only about 6% of American Christians tithe. The average Christian gives about 2.5% of their income. Amazing what we are able to do in light of such disobedience. Can you imagine what we could do if everyone was simply faithful, not above and beyond, simply faithful to what the scriptures tell us to do. One of the most unique and amazing chapel services I was ever a part of was in the fall of 1996. I was 22 years old, recently married, in my first semester at Asbury Seminary. An internationally renowned speaker, college professor, pastor named Tony Campolo was going to be a speaker that day. And the campus community was a buzz because he was a big deal, okay? And he's so controversial. Half the students couldn't wait to hear him, like me. I couldn't wait to hear him. The other half were upset that he was coming because the last time he was there, he had like, cussed three times in his sermon. And early in the 90s, he was speaking. This is a true story. He was speaking at a commencement at a Christian college. He stood up. This was with moms and grandmas and like their big, big day for their graduates. Thousands of people. And he got to the mic, he grabbed the podium, and he said, people are dying and going to hell and you don't give up. Yep. Fill in the blank. And most of you are more bothered about the fact that I just said than about the people dying and going to hell. And he went and sat down. That was, his, that was his commencement speech. So needless to say, I was fired up to hear this guy. We had no idea what he was going to do, just that it was going to be something unique. Well, the chapel service started, and we were singing, and a big, grand uh, 
uh, uh, you know, pipe organ and everything's going great. And then during the prayer time, right before the speech time, right before the, the, the message time, the dean of the chapel got up there and, and he said, for, we just got this prayer request from an alumni of, of this institution who is a, uh, a, a missionary, and he said that unless they get $3,000, their orphanage is going to close. Please join me in praying that God would provide. Right? So uh, we pray, had our prayer time. Then Dean did a long introduction to introduce Tony Campolo. And, and uh, as many accolades and achievements, and we all clapped. And before the dean of chapel could move, Campolo goes, just a minute! he said, we got that prayer request from the missionary. He's an alum of this institution. You know him. And the dean said, yes. And he goes, well, here's what we're going to do, students. Everyone is going to take out their wallets, and you are going to give every dollar you have with you. No checks, just cash. This was back in the time before we could do uh, uh, online stuff and everything. People actually, you know, carry cash. And, uh, and he opened up his wallet. Walked over to the, I, I kid you not, walked over to the altar, he said, I got $3, that's all I got, put it on there. And he goes, he goes, and if, uh, and if at, at the end of this, everyone's going to do this, and at the end of this, if we don't have $3,000, I will write a check for the difference. And the dean of the chapel goes, I, I get it, I get it, we get your point. He goes, you haven't gotten the point at all, fella, my money's on the altar, you're isn't, you're next. He points to the dean. So the dean He had like a hundred bucks. <laughs> Put it on the, on, on the altar. And he goes, I'm not kidding. First row, let's go. Row by row by row by row. We all went for it. Now remember, these are seminary students, okay? I was 22. I didn't have a job. I, I was recently married. You know, most of, the, most of the seminary students were on student loans. And I mean, these weren't CEOs. These weren't business people. These weren't, these weren't doctors. These weren't, uh, weren't wealthy people. These weren't even people that had jobs. It was just seminary students, like 300, 300 of us. And row by row, everybody emptied. And, and not everybody did it, because I saw some people, you know, not doing that at all. People from the business office that rushed forward and started counting it, you know, on a whim. We did it. it. Took about 10 minutes to do. When the offering was over, we had raised more than $5,000. It was still less than $20 per person. Campolo looked at us and he said very quietly, the audacity of the body of Christ asking God for 3,000 when he's put more than 5,000 in your hands. He goes, do you get it, future pastors? Do you get it, future leaders of the church? I said, do you see how this works? God has already provided. He's already provided a solution. He goes, but so many times the church just isn't faithful. And he said this, none of you is going hungry tonight. None of you are losing your home over $20. None of you are really being affected at all. And your poor students, he said, challenge your church to be faithful to what Jesus said. And with that, he got up 
and left. No sermon. No sermon was necessary. He taught us a powerful lesson. So how about it? Church, are we going to be faithful? God has provided the solution to every problem out there. Are we going to be faithful? Today, you all, I've, this week, God has really done some work with me. Since March of 2020, I believe the church in general, and us to a certain extent, have been in survival mode. We've been doing services, keeping the body together, and, and trying to keep everybody healthy, and trying to, to just kind of maintain day-to-day -day operations, and most people would say, well, that's, that's pretty good. Well, no more. That's not what Catalyst does. Today, this week, we are re-engaging with the world, with our mission as a church. We are going to re-engage with our service to the poor, re-engage our service to the orphans, spe especially children. There are three things that we are going to do. There's a new ministry called Fathers in the Field. We're going to partner up men of faith with children without fathers. And it's going to be it is a nationally program that I'm going to be leading. You'll be hearing more about that. Elders just approved it on Tuesday. Um, we're restarting our 127 ministries. Jenny has graciously allowed us to use a, ch a, a room in the children's building. We're going to have a one, uh, our, our 127 ministry. We're going to have uh, hygiene items, uh, deodorant, soap, feminine products, everything like that, $50 gift cards from Walmart to serve our foster families that are, that are, are coming in. Foster children a lot of times arrive at homes with nothing, or their, their clothes are ratty and torn, nothing. We're going to have resources to provide for all foster families in this community. That's the second thing we're going to do. And then we are also, I'm asking you guys to sponsor children in the Cows Orphanage. My wife and I sponsor four of them. It is one of the greatest joy, uh, joys of my life. If you would like to do that, please come see me. But we are re-engaging in the care of children. That is what we're going to do. Um, God has already provided homes for every foster child. He's already provided money for every poverty-stricken child. And it is here in the church. The question is, are we going to be faithful? That's the question. The third thing that the church must do, not just caring for children, so we need to cease enabling work-age adults. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That's harsh, isn't it? Not really. Sounds freeing, sounds liberating to me. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows we need to work. We need to provide for ourselves because that builds character, and he does not want people... He doesn't want people languishing in slavery, dependent on others. He wants us providing for ourselves. God's plan for the poor is to get them to go get food for themselves. That's why the command was to not go over the fields a second time. Leviticus 19.10, this was God's plan for the poor in the Old Testament. You do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So they would go over, they would pick the fields. They were not allowed to go over a second time because stuff they missed, stuff that fell on the ground, stuff still on the vine, that was for the poor. The poor, after the fields were clean, they would go in and take what they needed. They worked for it. That was God's solution to poverty in the Bible. All right? So that, that was his plan for adults. That was not his plan for children. That was his plan for adults. Children we support unreservedly. Adults, work-age adults, we don't enable. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. Enabling and neglecting, both are sins in God's eyes. If we enable people that can, that can work, we're destroying them. If we neglect people that can't work, we're destroying them. Enabling and neglecting, both are wrong in God's eyes. 
We can keep making emotional decisions about poverty, giving money, making us feel good about ourselves, and sound good and moral but accomplish nothing, or we can go to the Word of God and do what actually works. This next song we're going to close with, I love the lyrics to it. It says this, we have a story of grace, we have, an, we have an anthem of hope, we have a reason to praise. We are redeemed and restored. You are the great liberator. You ransomed us from our shame. Now by the blood of the Savior, everything broken will change. What is good news to the poor? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the church's job? To care for the poor as God tells us to. If you have been moved today, if you have been, if your heart has been touched, and you need to re-engage with God's mission for his church, I pray that you don't leave here the same way that you were when you walked in. We need volunteers. We need people who are willing to step up and sacrifice. We need people who are willing to be the church. For too long, since March 2020, the powers that be have told us that church is a service. It's a, it's, a, it's a sermon and some music. That's not what the church is. The church is far more than that. And this, as of today, Sunday, fourth Sunday of October, Catholic Christian Church is re-engaging. We're moving out of playing defense. We're moving into offense. And we're going to start making the impact on the world that we have always made prior to March 2020. Pray for you and pray for us that God will move us in the direction that He wants us to move. He's already provided the solutions. The question is, is His church going to be faithful? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we as we engage with your mission, Lord, we want to repent of our faithlessness, of, of taking what you have intended for others and using it for ourselves. Lord, we repent of that. And Lord, as we continue to serve you and to solve the problems of bringing the kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would motivate us, give us vision. For those that don't know you, that are in here today and joining us online, I pray that they would accept you as Lord and Savior, that they would surrender their lives to you and say, you are my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I'm a follower of yours. You're my Lord and my Savior. In the name of Jesus, we